0: Welcome to the Alternative Design Podcast. We provide an opportunity for creatives to rethink space and how it's designed by inviting unlikely perspectives to the conversation. Whether we're looking at living probiotics for buildings or exploring the first city to be constructed on Mars, we believe there's innovation to be found in the margins. I'm your host, Kaylin Reed, Market Insights Leader for Campbell International. Join us as we dive deeper than the mainstream conversations and find alternative ways to design for a better human experience. Optimism isn't the first word that comes to mind when talking about climate change. But what if an alternative point of view offered us a way to be makers of possibility What if I told you that as a designer, you have the opportunity to eliminate massive amounts of CO2 from our atmosphere, simply by specifying a familiar material, concrete. Sound crazy? Concrete is notorious for being one of the most anti-climate friendly materials in the industry. However, a brand new technology inspired by seashells is shifting the paradigm. In this episode, we're featuring the COO of the Foundation for Climate Restoration, and eco-anxiety expert, Dr. Erica Dodds. We also speak to the CEO of Blue Planet Systems, Dr. Brent Constance, and director of mineralized CO2 commercialization, Dougal Heap. What if one of the most promising ways to stop climate change was turning the built environment into a permanent storage solution for the world's carbon? This is episode 11, Give the Buildings Carbon. Almost every documentary or presentation made about climate change starts with the facts. Facts that can be shocking, scary, and even cause anxiety for those who find the predicting science about global warming to be too overwhelming. And while this information is necessary and relevant in raising awareness about our crisis, Dr. Erica Dodds, a climate restoration and eco-anxiety expert, has a different perspective. We've really historically
1: thought about climate change as a scientific issue. You know, How do we really understand, describe, explain, predict what this, this problem is going to look like? Um, and what are the potential pathways, given everything we know about the reality of the situation, where might we end up? And that's really important when it comes to you know, being able to build powerful computer models to know how different variables could change our trajectory or even just being able to speak compellingly about the different, the different issues that, that impact climate change. However, when it comes to thinking about making this planet livable for all of our 8 billion inhabitants and the many more who are yet to come, it can be pretty overwhelming and disempowering because it makes it look like you know, the, the trajectories that our scientific community has outlined are the only possibilities. So the idea of climate restoration is, okay, what if we set out the goal that we want? We want a safe and healthy climate. We want a climate like humans evolved in and like our natural world evolved in because we know that we can survive long-term in that type of climate. So how would we get there? And the simplest answer is we would get there by restoring levels of CO2 to pre-industrial levels.
0: So restoring to pre-industrial levels of CO2 suggests the need to actually eliminate or sequester carbon to make this goal a reality. And many experts on climate change are saying that we have to move beyond neutrality. It just isn't enough to lower the amount of CO2 that we're emitting globally. We have to look at actually becoming carbon negative, or basically absorbing some of the atmospheric carbon that exists currently. As the COO of the Foundation for Climate Restoration, whose mission is to catalyze the action needed to restore a safe and healthy climate by 2050, Erica understands just how tall of an order that is. You know, anyone who's studied anything about climate change
1: knows that just getting to net zero is seemingly impossible, right? So the idea of going beyond net zero to net deeply negative, you know, trying to sequester at least 50 billion tons per year of CO2 for 30 years to get us to that pre-industrial level, that's
0: a huge, huge task. When we start talking about numbers that are in the billions, it's super easy to check out and not even really understand that quantity. So to give us a picture, one gigaton, a gigaton being one billion tons, is about 2.2 trillion pounds. And according to NASA, that's equivalent to about 10,000 fully loaded U.S. aircraft carriers. But now multiply that by 50. Yeah, that's a lot of carbon dioxide. If you start from
1: the goal and then work backwards and look at what pathways would we need in order to get there, it kind of opens up some new possibilities. You know, how would we need to invest our time, our money, How would we need to shift our behaviors as humans in order to get to the outcome that we actually want? And just starting from a more hopeful end goal can make it a lot easier for people to take action because it's empowering and inspiring instead of deeply depressing.
0: The American Psychiatric Association recently found that 67% of Americans find the predictions around climate change to induce anxiety many people are trying to cope with an unpredictable future. And while we're certainly not recommending for anyone to avoid or turn a blind eye to what's happening, we were interested in Dr. Dodd's approach because it wrestles with the fundamental question of what are humans motivated by? Climate restoration is one of my favorite
1: things to talk to people about simply because when someone realizes for the first time that we we can ask for the climate that we want, a weight lifts off their shoulders, right? This goes from a doom and gloom conversation to a possibility conversation. And people get a lot of energy from thinking optimistically, hopefully, about things rather than trying to be, you know,
0: scared into action. Fear is a powerful motivator. Many experts have studied how people can make positive changes in response to fear because it makes us uncomfortable. If you're afraid of getting skin cancer, you'll probably wear more sunscreen, and that's a good thing. But what happens to our motivation under chronic fear when our body is in a constant state of fight or flight? Well, energy, motivation, and creativity go directly out the window. And if this state of fear is perpetuated long enough, it can lead to burnout.
1: You know, we would never want to downplay the the enormity of the problem, right? But For the most part, people know the enormity of the problem at this point. The question is, what do we do about it? So that's where our work really focuses, is the education, advocacy, and solutions. So the foundation works with citizen advocates through our local chapters program all over the world, and this program has really exploded recently. It's really exciting to see how many people want to take part in advocating for climate restoration. So we help educate these citizen advocates so that they have the tools they need to speak with their local policymakers uh, to help implement policy that's supportive of climate restoration solutions.
0: And while advocacy and policymaking may not squarely fit within the design community, it is absolutely critical in order to meet the goal of a future climate that's healthy and safe. So
1: it's clear that you know, in order to get to a restored climate, we need solutions that can actually correct the greenhouse gas imbalances in the atmosphere. And it's impressive how many solutions are out there, and they're really being developed every day, every year. Just since I started working with the foundation five years ago now. The whole landscape has changed. Really, when I started this work talking about carbon removal, no one I spoke with had heard of the concept before. You know, if you talked about any regenerative agriculture or direct air capture, these were completely foreign terms to basically everyone.
0: Definitely put a pin in the regenerative agriculture topic because we are absolutely going to come back to that later on in the season. And now, huge organizations
1: like like Microsoft, Stripe, and Shopify are investing huge amounts of money in in carbon removal, and it's becoming part of our kind of lexicon. Uh, so that's been really exciting. But solutions on their own don't make change, right? You need, in order to implement solutions, you need an enabling environment that they can actually get implemented within. And part of that is having policies that support their implementation.
0: So innovative design solutions plus policy and legislation equals positive changes and actually moving the needle towards getting the kind of climate we all want. But this isn't a do more, hustle harder, rally cry for the design community. And while that may sound crazy because of the huge goal we have and how much needs to get done to get there, we have to be able to sustain the work. There are things people can do all
1: over the world, regardless of their circumstances. So what I really encourage people to do is look at all of the options that are out there. You know, investment, advocacy, switching your personal behaviors, whatever it might be. Find the thing that's going to leave you with the most energy. Because ultimately, if you're doing something that's draining this isn't a sprint it's a marathon you, we really need to be able to stick with it for a long time in order to make a real impact on our global climate and i think too collective action is always going to have a, a larger impact than individual action but some people really need to take individual action in order to have the energy for the collective so it's really a matter of figuring out what works for you where you personally can have the biggest impact keeping in mind that you know your Skipping a hamburger one time is not going to make a difference. So if you really need that hamburger in order to, you know, get on your bike tomorrow or call your representative tomorrow,
0: then do what you need to do. Where are you going to personally have the biggest impact as a designer? You have a unique superpower in the fight against climate change, and it's something you do every day. You specify. Whether it's materials or products, you have the opportunity to influence how the built environment impacts our planet. And there's one material in particular, an old friend, that has recently gotten a glow-up and is primed to be a true climate savior. And it's concrete. Concrete, the infamous material that is responsible for 8% of global CO2 emissions. And we're asking you to consider specifying more of it, but not traditional concrete. I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Brent Constance, owner and CEO of Blue Planet Systems.
2: My doctoral dissertation was on how corals make their skeletons, you know, to form coral reefs. And uh, that's sort of a hybrid between biology and geology. And I I sort of discovered the fundamental mechanism that they use to do that. So, if you you know, 70% of the planet's covered with ocean and over half of the ocean has a thick layer of calcium carbonate on it. But if you go to a reef, you know, I mean, a, a coral reef is like a calcium carbonate factory. There's a type of algae called green algae and it's calcified and it, it uh, breaks down to little needles of calcium carbonate, and that's what fills in the reef and grows. And so all the carbon on earth eventually goes through that process where it diffuses into the ocean and converts to bicarbonate, which is where all, most of the carbon in the ocean is, and ends up in calcium carbonate, which is what limestone is. But today, over 99.9% of all The captured CO2 ends up in calcium carbonate in the skeleton of either a marine plant or a marine animal, sometimes a marine fungi. And and if we just talk about carbon, there's about 800 billion tons of carbon in the whole atmosphere, but there's about 100 million billion tons in limestone. And so it's a huge uh, reservoir. A lot of folks don't realize that almost all the carbon on Earth is sitting in limestone.
0: This natural process that Dr. Constance is talking about is called mineralization, a simple process which involves carbon dioxide becoming a solid mineral, which makes up things like coral reefs, shells, and bone. But there's a world changing feature of calcium carbonate or limestone that is produced by this process.
2: Every ton of coral skeleton or White cliffs of Dover or clam shells or abalone shells, every ton is 44% by mass of CO2.
0: Now, maybe you're thinking 44% doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but let's get a deeper understanding.
2: So it turns out in concrete, about over 70% of all the sand and gravel we put in concrete every year is limestone. And there are reasons for that. It's easier to mine. It's a lot softer than, say, granite. So You know if if you're michelangelo and you're carving something you'd much rather be carving marble which is limestone than granite believe me so there's this nice correlation that concrete provides uh, a really place to put a bunch of carbon dioxide and have it permanently stored there
0: if we look at anthropogenic co2 which is basically the carbon dioxide humans are putting out into the atmosphere every day it's around the sum of 40 billion tons annually We extract around 55 billion tons of aggregate rock every single year that is mostly made up of limestone, like what you find in shells and coral reefs. In other words, the amount of aggregate we're using in the recipe to make concrete makes it the only material that comes close to matching the amount of CO2 we're creating as a planet. And speaking of concrete recipes, let's make sure we have our straight. We talked to Blue Planet's director of mineralized CO2 commercialization Dougal Heap, to get a better understanding of what exactly makes up concrete.
3: I just have to make one thing very clear that always confuses people. There is a big difference between cement and concrete. Cement is essentially the fine powder that goes into the mix that is reacting with the water. It's hydrating when it's in the concrete and it binds the concrete together. 80-85% of concrete is actually just sand and gravel that's held together by the cement paste. And so the fact that so much of concrete by mass is sand and gravel, the the coarse and fine aggregate, means that it's a great place in which to store CO2, which is exactly what, what Blue Planet is trying to do.
0: So concrete is just water, aggregate, and cement. And with most of that recipe being aggregate made of limestone that can hold almost half its weight in carbon, that puts it into the superhero category of materials. Blue Planet has effectively created a solution that allows the built environment to be a massive storage closet for carbon and at scale could permanently sequester about half of the world's CO2 emissions. Here's how they did it.
3: We create synthetic limestone and limestone is calcium carbonate, CaCO3. And so in order to do that, we need two things. One is the CO2. And one is the CAO, which is sometimes referred to as lime, not limestone, but lime. So we're combining CAO and CO2 together to make CaCO3, which is limestone. Now, that's not necessarily uh, novel in and of itself. People have been precipitating limestone for probably over 100 years. But what is novel is where we source the CAO from, the calcium. And so... What we use are materials called geomasses, which is our own term. It's kind of a play on the the term biomass. And so it's really any waste material that contains calcium oxide or magnesium oxide. And so predominantly in our first generation of plants, it will be uh, waste and returned concrete.
0: What do we mean by returned concrete?
3: Returned concrete is basically what comes back in the truck that isn't used. Concrete producers always make slightly too much and send us out slightly too much because the financial penalty of not having enough for a job is much worse than wasting 5% too much with it. And that material is expensive to dispose of. It's got reactive cement in it. It's When it's come back, it's still like wet concrete. So it's a nasty, sludgy, wet mess. And so that has a lot of calcium oxide from the cement in there that we can extract.
0: So Blue Planet will use the waste from the job site as a source of calcium oxide to create their carbon negative concrete. But there's an even bigger source of calcium out there.
3: The other is just demolished concrete. So increasingly around the world, you can't build a building without knocking down an old building in the first place, especially in kind of major metropolitan areas. And so there's a lot of demolished concrete out there. There's kind of a few reasons why it's also forecast to increase. One is A lot of concrete buildings only have a kind of 30-year lifespan, and we were building a lot of concrete buildings 30 years ago, (laughs) and so they're ready to be knocked down. And the second is sea level rise. The vast majority of people live near to the sea. The sea level is rising faster than I think even the kind of the most pessimistic of people anticipated, which ultimately means it doesn't necessarily mean literally that the sea is going to come in and you're going to have to knock the building down and move it back two miles you can look at examples for instance in in florida recently where just the encroachment of the sea damaged the concrete enough that in that case the building collapsed but you'd have to in some cases preempt that salt is obviously terrible for concrete water isn't water just by itself isn't that great for for concrete and when the salt water and rebar in the concrete mix it's spelled disaster and so There'll be a lot of preemptive demolition of coastal buildings to avoid that.
0: If we think about what concrete has meant for humans occupying the built environment, it's been shelter from the elements, an enduring provider of comfort, a reliable foundation for the modern life. But what we have to think about is what it's costing us, what it's costing the planet. Perhaps there's room for discussion on how this new variation of a vilified material could be used for the greater good of our planet.
3: And so, what this means for the design and architecture world is that it's a complete paradigm shift for how concrete is viewed. Concrete is kind of public enemy number one at the moment. It's all about reducing concrete, using wood, CLT, what you name it, even super high strength concrete, so there's less of it. But if you're using a material that's carbon negative, which this Blue Planet aggregate can enable the concrete to be, it's a, completely, it's a complete 180. You want to use as much concrete as possible to sequester as much CO2 as possible. And now we're not encouraging people to just like live in a concrete bunker with no windows and like 10-foot-thick walls, but in a way, we kind of are encouraging people to do that, or at least to rethink about how concrete is viewed and also used.
0: As we allow the reputation of concrete to start changing with the use of this innovation, we will still need to consider how it's traditionally separated man from nature and explore how we might find creative uses for the material that would actually harmonize with the natural surroundings. Perhaps that might look different than concrete as a building construction material.
3: One of the interesting co-benefits about the material we make is that it's very reflective. It has a very high solar reflectance, very high albedo. Which is great for reducing the the heat island effect, the urban heat island effect. And out here in California, especially reducing the the cooling load on buildings by making them more reflective. And partly it's because the material is white, but it also has the same property as a pearl or a a seashell that has luster. You know, it kind of has a strange shine to it. And that it's interesting, that property isn't really very well understood. But what we found is even if you just use Blue Planet, Sand in concrete, the concrete itself is more reflective. And so in cities where, like in LA, they're basically resurfacing sidewalks and roads with a more reflective surface. Instead of having to do that, you could just use Blue Planet sand in the concrete and the concrete would be more reflective and it would reduce the heat island effect.
0: Many of you might be wondering what it looks like to actually use your specification superpower to get Blue Planet in your projects. And while the company is still new and scaling up to meet demand, here's what you can expect in the future.
3: So where we are at the moment is we have a a pilot plant in Pittsburgh, California, and that's a relatively modest scale. But pretty soon, by the end of 2023, we should have a much larger facility that's capturing 20,000 tons of CO2 a year, producing 33,000 tons of uh, carbon negative aggregate produced that can be used in projects in the Bay Area. A lot of that is probably already spoken for, but we'll use a licensing business model. And so partnering with big companies that either have lots of sites that emit CO2 or a big existing aggregate companies that have a lot of uh, market understanding and and technical know-how to quickly roll out the technology around the US and around the world is how we have quick impact. And for an architect designer at this stage, I think... Expressing interest to us helps us decide where is there a demand for the product, which isn't the only factor for us deciding where to build plants, but it, it, it's one of them at this stage. So, yeah, feel free to get in touch.
0: Something to keep in mind, however, is that even if you can't use Blue Planet concrete specifically, you can set the standards of the spec to include either low carbon, zero carbon or even negative carbon concrete. And if this sounds daunting, like how would I even get the numbers for something like that? Let me introduce you to Carbon Star. It's a simple rating system that allows you to understand how much embodied carbon is in a particular concrete so that you can use that data to influence the procurement process. We've linked the website in our show notes if you're interested.
3: Having a fixed number, a quantifiable number, is really a good place to start. And if you have that number and specify that number in your procurement guidelines, then it incentivizes the concrete provider to either use Carbon Star or maybe use some alternative thing, but it just incentivizes them to reach that target. And it's really very achievable. So just saying really stringent goals, I think people would be surprised by how quickly the concrete industry will be able to reach some of those lower targets.
0: As we mentioned before, it's innovative solutions and policy together that create change. And Erica and the Climate for Restoration are taking on a big portion of that second part for you. We've been advocating for Blue Planet because it's
1: so incredible, right? For the last several years, and they have way more demand than they can possibly meet at this point. So everyone is waiting for, with bated breath for them to get scaled up. Uh, but in the meantime, working with them on ensuring that the policy environment is in place so that when municipalities or states do major infrastructure projects they have the language the rules in place to prioritize the use of materials like this that can really change the carbon footprint of the city
0: while you may not be specking the concrete for a massive bridge reconstruction as an interior designer keep in mind the application doesn't have to be huge
3: yeah i mean whether it's one ton of co2 or ten thousand tons it, it Every ton has the same impact. If you were to just use enough concrete to sequester one ton of CO2, that's like the equivalent of flying from New York to London. back. And so that's a big impact.
0: A quick visual of that amount is roughly an 18 foot by 18 foot slab of concrete that's your standard four inch depth. Just, you know, casually saving the world one trendy industrial office floor at a time. But joking aside, Blue Planet has a number in mind when it comes to their standard for concrete.
3: Our company mission is to mineralize a billion tons of CO2 in the built environment. And I think that's absolutely achievable. I mean, ultimately, I think, think we will go beyond that. But that would be a huge, that would be more CO2 stored than has ever been stored so far in human history.
0: While there are many technologies being developed to capture carbon from the atmosphere, it still leaves us with a question of where to put it. Why not give it to buildings? Blue Planet's deeply carbon-negative concrete could change how we have viewed this culpable material and rethink how we use it in the built environment to offer safety in a new way, like giving us an opportunity for a safe climate. There are so many ways the design community can take a leading role in setting the standard for how we want the built environment to contribute to a healthy climate. Find the ways that energize you and align with your passions so you can continue to do the worthy work of reclaiming our planet one ton at a time. Thanks so much to Erica, Brent, and Dougal for the inspiring conversation and Brain Food. For more information on the Foundation for Climate Restoration and Blue Planet, including the Carbon Star rating system, check out our show notes. This podcast is brought to you by Kimball International. Thanks for listening.